0: Thank you for joining online for authors.
1: Thank you very much for having me. So
0: we have not met each other before, apart from um, our involvement in a shared Facebook group. I- I'd like to get to know you a little better. I'd like to, you know, let the online for authors listeners get to know you a little better too. How about if we just start by sharing how it is that you started writing?
1: Uh, so I have wanted to be a novelist since I was six years old, and. Um, uh, I in fifth grade, I, I wrote a a book about a group of of intrepid twelve year olds who fight international crime. Wow. Uh, and then in uh, uh, when I was in high school, I co-wrote a uh, choose your own adventure book based on Lord of the Flies, which uh, everyone in my uh, in my English class had had to read. Oh, in fact, I I dug it out just for. For this see the uh, the pig's head on a stick you get to be Ralph in one of the uh, I, I don't want to give too much away but in one of the uh, the ultimate endings um, you as Ralph die by eating a poison mango so that's a lot of fun. Um, oh. but <laughs> so um, I, I went to UC Santa Barbara uh, University of California at Santa Barbara um, and I majored in English with a creative writing emphasis. And um, I had, I'd always loved mysteries. I started reading Agatha Christie books uh, at a probably too young age, (laughs) Uh, but even before that, Encyclopedia Brown and uh, Danny Dunn, Scientific Detective. Um, But when I got to to the academia version of creative writing, um, there were a few of my professors who really only valued literary, the literary side of things. I remember one of my professors just went off on how much he hated Sue Grafton. Um, and, uh, it really sort of deadened my, my desire to write what I loved for quite a long time. And then one day I woke up in my mid forties and I hadn't written, fin- I, I, I hadn't finished a novel since, uh, since that Lord of the Flies, Choose Your Own Adventure back in, in high school. Um, and I actually picked up uh, Sue Grafton and read it for the very first time, and I thought, uh, I can't believe I let that professor uh, stop me from reading A is for alibi for 20 years. Uh, thought about how I would uh, like to start writing mysteries again. Uh, my wife at the time was looking into getting into nursing programs, and, and she got very interested in what all of the things that she could do with with a, a nursing degree. And it turns out, one of the things that you can do with a nursing degree in California is become a coroner. California is one of the few states in the United States that doesn't require a medical degree for a coroner position. Now, it turns out that every single county in California either has a sheriff-coroner combined position or has a medical examiner position. But that didn't stop me from inventing a fake county on the Central Coast, very close to UC Santa Barbara. Fenway Stevenson was born from, from that.
0: The setting for um, the first book here, The Reluctant Corners, I, I learned about Fenway Stevenson and, and the area there. You're a native Californian?
1: That's, that's correct. I grew up uh, in the San Jose area, um, and I've, I went to school down in Santa Barbara, which is about uh, three hundred miles south uh, of there, about uh, a good hundred miles, about one hundred and fifty kilometers north of Los Angeles. And I now live in the Sacramento area, which is about uh, about one hundred and fifty kilometers northeast of San Francisco.
0: Oh my goodness, that's a beautiful area. There's a few people on uh, social media here that are sharing wonderful, wonderful coast pictures uh, on a regular basis, and I, I just soak it up. Yeah. so. I'm envious.
1: <laughs> the, uh, the university that I went to is is literally right on the beach. There is a there is a beach called Campus Beach. Oh, wow. uh, and so uh, a lot of the, the the settings there are fictionalized versions and slightly geographically misplaced features of, of a lot of the places that uh, that I was familiar with uh, uh, when I went to school there. There's an oil refinery called uh, the Gaviota Oil Refinery that is uh, probably a good 20 kilometers, 10, 15 miles, 10 or 15 miles north of campus. Uh, and when you drive through there at night, it just lights up like uh, um, like Gotham City. And that is in the opening scene of, uh, of the reluctant coroner oh, okay. as she's returning back home.
0: Right now, we don't want to give too much of the book away um, for those who haven't read it, because we want to encourage uh, others to read it. But this, you're on Amazon and Barnes and Noble best-selling author for this series, and it, it that novel is actually your debut as a, a novelist. Is that right?
1: That's that's correct. Yeah, it's it's the first novel that that I actually finished since high school. Um, I'd started a few and, uh, some of them got very, very far into before abandoning it completely. Um, but, uh, but this is, I, I finished this one and, and, um, I was edited and, and, uh, I, I published it uh, almost three years ago to the day that we're recording this now. It was, uh, it was mid-March, uh, in, in 2018 when, uh, oh, when it was published.
0: Yeah. I love anniversaries like this. That's fantastic. Yeah. So not only are you like a fiction, nonfiction, but fiction writer. So there, you've got um, nonfiction works about computer security in California, mm-hmm. computer news, and European communications.
1: Yeah, that's correct. I uh, I have worked in the cybersecurity industry uh, since two thousand. Um, in fact, in fact, I have a, a an My twenty-one year anniversary is coming up for that as well because. Uh, I, I got my my first job in the cybersecurity industry in in March of 2000. Uh, I worked on the marketing side of things, which which helps a little bit in the book industry. But selling to uh, IT directors who need to increase their computer security is quite a bit different than convincing the average person to take a chance on uh, the first book in a seven book uh, mystery series. But there's some things that uh, that are still the same uh, from it. And as a result of that, I was able to. I, I wrote several articles, and a couple of them did get get picked up by uh, by computer magazines, um, which are few and far between now. Um, I still get the occasional blog post uh, published uh, on other websites, but uh, uh, but nothing in, in print magazines, as those tend not to exist too much anymore.
0: Yeah, there's a lot. Not a lot of people are investing in um, actually making print copies when in this digital era. That we have here right?
1: and I think you can see that as well certainly from from my sales uh, the far far vast majority of sales that I make are from ebooks rather than than paperbacks. It's just I think a reality of of the market.
0: Let's talk about this journey for you. did you ever um, not have ebooks or did you actually start in that vein?
1: I started with uh, I started with ebooks and the the paperback that came out at the same time. Uh, I had a friend who I was. Uh, we were both theater geeks in in high school. Uh, she she directed me in a in a one-act play back then, and I got on her email email list somehow. Turns out that she published a memoir of the year that she and her family spent in in Umbria in a tiny little village uh, in in the Umbrian countryside, uh, and I noticed that I hadn't heard of the the press name that was on the book. And, uh i started talking with her and found out that she's self-published and and i thought huh well i'm actually working on this novel uh now and i wonder if that's a, a viable way for me to do uh to do business um it certainly uh it certainly is a much faster way to get books into the hands of readers um with you know going the agented route uh, often takes multiple years uh I, i've heard two years if you're lucky so, uh, she pretty much showed me the ropes. Uh, she started her own series of novels. They're, uh, they're telenovelas set in the same Umbrian, uh, countryside. Um, lots name? of, uh, her name is Michelle Damiani. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's got a book called Bel Centro, which, which is the memoir of her year in, uh, in the Italian countryside. And then her books, uh, are Called the Santa Maria or Santa. Sorry, the Santa Lucia series. Santa Maria is is the city just north of, of Santa Barbara, where I've sort of faked my way around uh, uh, around the Fenway Stevenson books. And she was very very helpful uh, to uh, to show me the ropes on on how okay this is. You know, you want to do this uh, for for uh, uh, for a paperback, but make sure you go to both Ingram Spark. And to Amazon KDP, and if you want to go wide, here are the other uh, the other places that you can go besides besides Amazon. So it was it was uh, fantastically helpful, and uh, and she and she's actually one of my beta readers uh, now. So it's uh, and it's been a lot of fun to reconnect with her. She and I hadn't spoken for a couple of decades, and uh, and it was it was great to, to reconnect. And now we're both book nerds together.
0: Well, it's fantastic to have that mentorship and, uh, you know, when you build your, your tribe and your community and then uh, you have all of that support, you know, writing and publishing is, a, is such a big endeavor that I think a, a fewer people would do it without that type of support. Yeah. yeah. You have your creative writing degree and you're you're using it by authoring marketing materials for computer security companies for the better part of two decades. I, I like the way this was put. When you're not writing novels or trying to save the world through better computer security, you play keyboards in a dance rock band.
1: After I, uh, I graduated from college, I'd, I'd actually the, my my senior year, I'd gotten involved in a uh, a pop rock band and uh, spent another year down there trying to trying to become a rock star. And ever since then, I've been in a success a succession of local uh of local bands um sometimes original uh bands um uh, was in a in a band for a long time called delicious blue that uh we we said we were a combination of peter gabriel and sarah mclaughlin <laughs> which kind of gives you an idea of how long ago that was <laughs> yeah so this was you know this was when the little fair was was happening and and uh and that kind of thing yeah. uh and then uh when i moved up to uh to sacramento uh I was out of bands for a while, but uh, but but then I got involved in in a, a dance rock band doing covers of Love Shack and uh, Casey and the Sunshine Band and Katrina and the Waves and stuff like that. So it, it's a lot of fun. It uh, it gives me a uh, a break from uh, the grind of uh, of both the day job and. Uh, Sometimes the uh sometimes you need a little break from uh immersing yourself in the the world of uh, of murder mysteries. Good way to creatively recharge.
0: Uh, you actually publish also um short fiction and humorous essays in uh, you've published in anthologies um Bottom mm-hmm. Fish and Sweet Fancy Moses. How did you come across um, these anthologies?
1: Well, so the Bottom Fish was a publication of uh of the community college that I, that I went to. Uh, and I took, uh, I believe for the two years that I attended there, I believe I took every single one of the creative writing classes that they offered there. Sometimes I was in two creative writing classes in a single, uh, (laughs) single, uh, semester, uh, there. Uh, and the, they, they had a, the, the community college had a literary anthology called bottom fish. And, and I applied to it a couple of times and got published with, with one of my literary fiction works there, which I read now. And, and I'm like, Oh, that's so pretentious. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, the Free- sweet, fancy Moses um, was a comedy website. There was a, a, a guy named Matt Hurley. He out of Chicago who started it. I was a big fan. And then they opened it up to, um, uh, to open submissions. So a lot of a uh, lot of short fictional work on it the the website is sadly uh defunct now but I got a couple of uh of pieces posted on on that. Again I, I look at those pieces that I that I wrote in the mid 90s or the late 90s and it cringe a little bit. Um uh about about them I had references to uh to friends uh the TV show and um, things like that that didn't age quite so well um but i it did help me in terms of learning how to tell a story in a short space even though i uh had i was working on novels at the time that i never finished i did uh write a few short stories uh as well um never got any of them published um but uh one of them turned into uh, a novella uh which is a little bit of a companion piece to the fenway stevenson series um it's called bad weather And it talks about one of the secondary characters in the Fenway Stevenson series 25 years before she met Fenway. Uh, It's a very odd little book. It's uh, half of it is like an identity theft thriller and half of it is uh, there's some elements of romance in it. It is is strange. I like it a lot. It's very clearly something that most of my readers are like, oh, that was weird. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, I'm uh, curious, where do we find this?
1: It's also available um, uh, everywhere you can buy the Fenway Stevenson series. Um, it's a, it's a about 40,000 words, maybe 30, 35,000 words. Um, so it's a, it's a little interesting piece. Um, uh, you can see that it's not nearly as well-reviewed as the Fenway Stevenson series, but it may offer some interesting insights into uh, my crazy mind. paulaustinardouane.com. Is my website. I've got an author store that you can click on there. I've got a, a blog, as well. Some of it uh, talks about my inspiration for parts of the series. Uh, some of it talks about um, some of the things that uh, that I, I've done. Some of the places that uh, that I've been to promote. One of the coolest things I did was I went to a local comedy uh, comedy club here in the in the Rocklin area, where we're in the Sacramento area where they were doing a, an improv uh, night. And the improv was based on uh, the first Fenway Stevenson uh, novel. Uh, And so they read the synopsis on the back of the book. And, uh, and then I went on stage and I picked out who would play which characters. And then they just went with it. And it was fantastic. Fenway has a rich father and in the, in their version of it, uh, he traveled everywhere by hot air balloon so it was just hilarious to uh to see all of that happening and of course you know b- because they only read the synopsis they got every single plot point completely wrong the murderer was you know not the the right person that it was in there but it was a lot of fun the audience really enjoyed uh enjoyed it and i got to sell a few books which was which was nice and it was it was a really nice uh, nice evening as well so that was that was cool. You can read about uh, about that, see a couple of pictures that I uh, that I took with the performers, uh, everything from the, the people who I've uh, uh, dedicated a couple of the, the books to. Um, when I was at UC Santa Barbara, I also did a lot of Shakespeare classes. And uh, one of and my Shakespeare professor would have been uh, 100 years old this year. Um, he passed away a couple of years ago. A uh, thinly veiled version of him appears in my fourth book. Uh, as well as the Shakespeare troupe that uh, that he led and and let all the students act- actors on. So that's uh, that's a lot of fun too.
0: Thank you very much for sending me an advanced reading copy. Fenway, this is an amazing story. Yes, it's fictional. However, the dynamics in it and and the stories that you tell there's there's multiple stories within your story. And um, I, I really like the way you've put it together, Paul. Thank you very much.
1: I really appreciate it. And book one, the ebook form is free on all uh, the major, uh, major sites. So Amazon, Kobo, Barnes and Noble, Apple, uh, Google, um, Smashwords, even. So um, if you want to get started, uh, you can read the first one for free.
0: Loves this first free in series. (laughs) In reading your book, I noticed that you've, you've got issues around racism and you've got issues around poverty. And you've got also that strong female character, which I really love. Um, and you also have very strong secondary female characters.
1: There are a lot of stories that are told that, that are sort of an idealized version of, of the world we live in. And I wanted to make sure that I was being authentic to, uh, to the characters. now. As the characters develop, and I think a lot of writers have experienced this, um, the, the the characters themselves sort of take over. And you're like, oh, I want this to happen. And then you're writing, you're like, wait, that's not happening. Wait, what's this? What's going on? Uh, and so the book is sort of writing itself. And as I was starting to to write the book, it was very clear that that the characters would need to struggle through some of the things that would actually uh, in, in, in my belief ha- happened to them in, 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 real life at the time when I was writing uh, it, the, the me too stuff was, was, uh, was coming out. It was very clear to me that if I were going to have female characters in the book, which uh, they were, you know, my, my lead and a very, and a very strong secondary character and another very strong secondary character, I couldn't make it an idealized version of it. I just, I, I, I just, I just was not able to, to make that ideal, I didn't feel like that would be true to who the characters were, and so I I began to research what that looks like. I hope, anyway, that when people read this, they don't think I'm I'm stepping on the toes of the people who whose stories these are, but I uh, but instead giving it a little bit of room to exist um, and be authentic, uh, because the story is the story is about solving a murder it's it's not about what these people are are going through in their struggles of of racism and 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 sexism yet this i didn't feel the story could be told without having those elements that i that i was pretty sure would be authentic to um to that and it was um it was borne out by my research and i had sensitivity readers who gave me a lot of, of feedback i screwed up a, a couple of times. And I was very lucky that I had a sensitivity reader who pointed out some of the areas that I screwed up in and where I needed to educate myself a lot more than, than I had. But I feel like the book is a lot better because of it. I, I feel like the the book the book feels feels authentic because of that. And I hope that people who who, who read it can see uh can see that. And if if they're members of, of those groups that uh, that it feels authentic to them without feel, feeling like I'm telling a story that shouldn't be told. So it is a fine line to walk, and I hope I've done a good job with that. And um, people have, uh, like I said, when I didn't do a good job about it, people were more than uh, happy to tell me that I wasn't. Um, but it, it seems like like it's at a good point um, now. I'm sure I can improve things, and I'm always learning, and I'm um, and I'm hopefully always willing to learn, and um, and people can tell me when I've, I've overstepped or misstep, uh, but I did really feel like that was important to the story I was telling into the characters who's, who were going through, um, this, even though it's a, a murder mystery and it's not a story, uh, about their struggles.
0: I, I like that too, because you've, you've given some great tips there for other authors and that, you know, do your research, uh, especially around sensitive issues, uh, you know, uh, because you do, you cover sensitive issues, From the female perspective, being a male, um, it's really important, I think, that you were sensitive to the the fact that you may not have it right and you were listening to the feedback, Um, you know, but not expecting yourself to know everything or be perfect in any of it, I think is a very good example for other authors. Relationship dynamics between Fenway and her father. Uh, where did the idea for that come from?
1: I had read some article about uh, people who have unusual names, and uh, and that some of them were named after sports figures and things like that. And I don't know if I misread sports figures as sports stadiums or something like that. But the name Fenway as a first name uh, sort of appeared in my head, and I kind of grabbed onto it. Then I thought to myself. What kind of narcissist would would name their child after their favorite baseball team's ballpark? And so just from the what ifs around that, I started thinking uh, about this this father who was a huge Boston Red Sox fan and named uh, his his only child uh, after Fenway Park and how much that would have affected Fenway growing up and wanting to get out of of his shadow, and from that the story uh, emerged. She and her mother lived uh, lived in Seattle and didn't really see the, the rich father. Uh, didn't didn't get to take advantage of the uh, uh, the money that the rich father um, was basically keeping for him and his new wife. And so that whole dynamic, um, just, just grew out of that. I really tend to be what is, uh, called a pantser or, uh, as Joanna Penn calls it, a discovery writer, which, uh, which I prefer as, as a term, uh, which means that I basically have just a handful of ideas and sit down and start writing as opposed to writing out a whole plot, uh, and outlining all the subplots and things like that. Now I've changed a little bit. It's, I've plotted the last, few books that I've, I've written, but certainly the first book and, and all the way up to my fourth book, I knew who the victim was. I knew who the murderer was and I knew Fenway. And, and then from that, uh, everything else, uh, everything else came. I've been reading now. I know mysteries are usually very, uh, very structured. Um, but like I said, I've been reading Agatha Christie since I was way too small to read Agatha Christie. And I, I discovered that even though I was, was, uh, was writing these in, in, into the dark, uh, or, or, you know, as a discovery writer, I would often pretty strictly follow the mystery formula just because I've read so many of them. And I was like, you know, I really, we really should have a, we really should have a little twist here or, you know, really they should go down the wrong path to, to, uh, and, and, a, and a suspect should be, be found. So it, it's really interesting how, uh, regimented I was in the structure even though I thought I was being a loosey goosey rebel.
0: Do you have other tips that you'd like to share about with other authors or other writers in becoming an author and, you know, taking criticism or anything else for that matter?
1: I think, I think the most important thing to do, if, if this is important to you as an author, keep your goal in mind of writing um, things that are uh, authentic and real, but that don't, that don't step on other other people's stories, and if you keep that goal in mind, it is easier not to get defensive when your mistakes are pointed out to you. Uh, it's it's really interesting. I I just finished watching a documentary on the art world and the whole thing that that happened with uh uh with the eighty million dollar art uh, fiasco that uh, that happened through the nineties and through the early part of the of the. The 21st century. One of the one of the big issues was that the people who were wrong, the people who um were fooled by the forgeries, they didn't, they refused to admit that they were wrong. And they in fact doubled down on the, I really believe that this Jackson Pollock is is not a, a fake. It's the real thing. I, you know, this Mark Rothko is. Is absolutely 100% authentic, and that's a very dangerous place to, to be because other people can see that the the art dealer was just fooling themselves, or uh, some of them even think that that they were the ones perpetuating the the fraud. Um, and I think as an author, one of the things we can we can learn from that is to to have a, a little bit of a dif- of a distance when presented by things that you may not may not believe if you really think you've gotten a scene right and somebody says this is this is offensive you can't use this this terminology um the way that you've written this character is not true to life is not real it's very easy to say yes it is i have a friend who blah 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 and i've had three people who are from this uh this group and they haven't said anything about it so it must be great take a step back and and try to look at it from from somebody outside the perspective. I think one of the things that I, I know, one of the things that happened to me in the first book is that, um, so Fenway is, uh, is half African-American and, and half white. And I, I had a couple of, of, of early readers who, um, uh, who were black, who read it and they didn't say anything. And then I had a sensitivity reader read it and was like, you are, you can't say this and you can't do this and you have to change this character. And I was like, "Well, how come these people didn't tell me?" Well, it's because they they weren't getting paid to read my book. They weren't getting paid. We we didn't have a contract that I won't get mad at you if you point out things that make me feel uncomfortable. I don't think they wanted me to feel uncomfortable, and it just and it wasn't worth it to them to bring it up to me, even though you know I assured them that they could tell me anything and be honest. I mean, uh, you know, it's easy for me to say that. And when, you know, somebody from a, uh, uh, from, from a group that is, is not in, in, you know, my skin color and, and, you know, when they, they come to me, there's a real, they're, they're taking a real chance when they criticize me that I will get angry and that, and that it'll be uncomfortable at, at best and a big fight at, at, at worst. So uh, really having that, Investment in uh, making it a, a good, authentic story is really important. And paying for the sensitivity reader is important. It's like, you know, you can ask your friends, Hey, am I crazy? Did I do something here? And they're Oh, no, no, everything is fine. And then you go pay a psychologist to do it. Or in the US, you have to pay for a psychologist anyway. And you're paying somebody $200 an hour. And, you know, you better be clear that if they say, Oh, yeah, what you did here was, uh, was, you know, it was not healthy. You need to look at, you know, better, healthy things you can do mentally. And if you're paying for that $200 an hour for them to, you better think that, you know, your friendships, they don't want to risk your friendships by saying, yeah, what you did there was really messed up and you need to, you need to you know think about things differently. It, it I think it's very similar in terms of the way that the authors need to approach their mindset when, um, uh, when dealing with difficult subjects or dealing with uh, characters who are not from their own background um, to do that.
0: Yeah, I think it's a very important thing that you mentioned there, that there is a risk involved um, for people to give you feedback of any kind, if it's not just praise. And so it's really how you handle it um, that makes a difference, you know, as to whether or not I'm going to trust that I can do that in the future if I, if sometimes you can step out there a little bit when you're just you're building relationships and it just takes a lot to get to a point where you have that trust in a relationship or, like you say, you've bought the relationship for it. And so it's, it, I, I love how you highlight that. It's, it's worth it as an author to have that and to go through the effort of doing that so that there is authenticity there. Do you have a copy of the reluctant coroner? I do. How do you feel about reading the blurb on the back?
1: Yeah, that, that would be, that'd be great. So I actually, the, the first blurb that I wrote for this, uh, I was in love with it. And then somebody took a chance with me and said, you know, that blurb isn't very good. And so I actually, uh, hired, uh, somebody, uh, the blurb bard is uh, is what she goes by. You can find her, her Facebook group. Uh, and I paid her to write this. Blood is thicker than oil until murder is involved. Fenway Stevenson doesn't wanna to return to the coastal town where her estranged father is practically, practically king. But the death of her mother draws her back home and the murder of the county coroner draws her into a deepening conspiracy. As the body count rises and all signs Seem to point toward her father's oil company. Will Fenway uncover the truth before family bonds become deadly?
0: And I just want to encourage people to go get your book. Um, go to the website if you have a newsletter, sign up for his newsletter and, and take it in.
1: <laughs> yes. And the the new book came out on uh, on March 9th. It's the seventh book in the series. Oh, congratulations. Um, yeah, thank you very much. And it's available uh on all major ebook retailers and um and on on Amazon and Barnes & Noble for the paperback and a lot of other places can special order it. Thanks very much for having me, Jennifer.
0: My pleasure. (laughs)